Okay, well, let's do the counting thing. To what? Do we need to violate a 10? Just a 5. <laughs> okay. 5? Is that good? 7. 7. <laughs> okay. This is a biblical... <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. We should do 7. All right. Okay. Daniel? Oh, okay. 1, 2, two 3, four, five, six, six, seven. 7. I almost said 8. Better watch out. First question, why and what is this podcast? So let me just say a little bit about the why. I have just started at Asbury Seminary and I'm taking two classes this spring. So I wanted to share a bit about what I'm learning with each of you, but also thought it would be fun to open it up to a larger audience if anybody else was interested. So that's kind of the idea is that we can use my classes at seminary as a framework and really just a starting point for the conversation. When you're in classes, a lot of times after a class, there'll be like a group of students or maybe at the lunch table afterward, you'll kind of discuss some of the Mm. things you've been learning in classes that day. And that's a really neat way to get a little bit of insight for people who are in different classes. And so we're kind of thinking we might be able to emulate that sort of conversation. Yeah, Yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there who have an interest generally in learning more about their faith, learning more about the word and just interest in what goes on in a seminary but aren't at the level of or aren't at a place yet of being ready to sort of gear their entire life's trajectory that way Mm -hmm. Um, and i would say i'm kind of in that category and so this has been a good opportunity for me to kind of get my feet wet in some of the content without having to fully commit to that yeah i'm working in a church right now and so i definitely have exposure to a lot of people who are interested in, in going a little bit deeper than just like kind of Sunday school, like Bible study level. Mm-hmm. But like you said, they're not ready for seminary or don't need to go to seminary even, but they're interested in that level a little bit. So I think where we're shooting is kind of like in that middle ground a little bit, mm-hmm. um, talking about seminary like level material, but not having to do all the work and take the full load and do all the reading and all that kind of stuff that would be like a full seminary education or anything. Right. And yeah, that's the other side too, is you mentioned you're, you're working in a church. And so each of us are in a very different place in life doing very different things. So I think that can add an interesting dynamic just to the conversation. Mm-hmm. For people that As don't know, we're... As just being three seminarians talking about their courses. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for people that don't know, we are brothers. My name is Paul. I am the youngest. I am in Kentucky going to Asbury Seminary. And I do video production. I'm Joel. I'm the middle of the three brothers and I'm living in South Alabama in Dothan. I'm a youth pastor, been doing youth ministry for uh, three and a half years. Um, And I have already been through seminary. I went to Asbury Seminary, um, got a master's of divinity and a master's in biblical studies. So a lot of the topics that we're going to be handling are things that I have studied formally, even though it's been a while. Mm -hmm. And my name is Daniel. I'm the first Sigler. Well, (laughs) Oh, boy. Here we go. (laughs) Oh, okay. The the first of us three. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) I have never been to seminary, so this is... um, I'm I'm approaching this a lot more as just a kind of layperson, currently living in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, and I'm working with an NGO and evangelistic and teaching English, among some other things. There we go. So we're a bit scattered about, and... uh, 
our audio quality might not always be the best, be the most professional, but we will try to improve as we go. So just a, a little disclaimer there. Stay with us. You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. <laughs> so hopefully this will be informational, but also just entertaining and fun for people and for us. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, at this point, I don't think we really anticipate having a broad reach of people who don't have some idea who we are but if that does end up yeah. happening that'd be awesome and welcome right <laughs> <laughs> hope you enjoy it'll be interesting to see how this goes too because you know we can only record so often and i'm going to class every week multiple times obviously so uh, there's just going to be way more content than we could ever talk about or share on this so uh, it'll just be interesting to see how it goes i mean it might be shifting topics fairly regularly based on where my courses are going and even moving between different semesters. If we do get to a point where we're getting like listener feedback and things, there may be potential to revisit a topic um, down the line too. That's sure. true. Yeah, that would be really interesting to, to get feedback. Give us feedback. All right. That sounds good to me. I'm taking two classes right now. The first one is called Inductive Bible Study of Matthew. And then the other class is called Missional Formation. But let's start with Inductive Bible Study, or IBS. Okay. Everyone pull out your syllabus. We'll look over. <laughs> I don't remember ever actually using the syllabus. So obviously, Joel, you've taken IBS courses. Daniel, are you familiar with the IBS idea? Yeah, some a little bit. Only really because when I last was visiting you... Uh, I attended the one IBS class mm -hmm. and my main impression actually was that this is what I'm familiar with primarily through the Bible project videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think people use the term inductive Bible study for other things. It's not always the exact same method, but it's pretty, it has like similarities. Right. So it's okay. breaking yeah. down into like themes or segments of the text. So let's talk about that. Here are a couple of the defining characteristics. Okay. So first off, that term inductive. Mm -hmm. They make a big distinction between inductive and deductive. With an inductive study, it's all about the text alone. You're not drawing from anything outside of the text. So you're not trying to... You don't start with commentaries or you don't start with a specific... Um, topic necessarily or end in mind or a cultural issue you don't go to the text with those things on your mind you start just with the passage okay so not what does this passage mm -hmm. have to say about x that's right okay here's the definition from dr bauer himself inductive bible study is a comprehensive holistic study of the bible that takes into account every aspect of the existence of the biblical text and that is intentional in allowing the bible in its final canonical shape to speak to us on its own terms thus leading to accurate original compelling profound interpretations and contemporary appropriation great okay very thorough a lot of times the entire hour and 15 minute class sounds like that <laughs> Okay, so basically what he's saying there is the whole Bible, right? We're interested in the whole Bible. Right. As it is. So not so interested in stuff called redaction criticism or source criticism, 
which is this study of, of the Bible that's talking about how did we get the forms of the books that we have now? Were there earlier forms? Um, mm-hmm. Were the books edited? And those kind of questions are not of interest to inductive like Bible study. Like the Q. Right. Q document or anything like that. The inductive Bible study is not interested in that. It's interested in the whole Bible as we have it canonized today. Mm-hmm. And then it says that it's going for a like comprehensive interpretation that's ac- an accurate interpretation, but then a contemporary appropriation or a, like application. So that there is a correct interpretation of the of the Bible, but mm-hmm. then there can be contemporary appropriation. Exactly. Did I missing anything or is that basically it? Uh, I think that's basically it. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of words in there. Yeah, no kidding. So my question is, what comes to mind when you think of how you've studied the Bible in the past? In relation to induction or deduction or just in general, like what? No, just in general, <clears throat> studying the Bible. <clears throat> I don't feel like I've actually done much Bible study in the past. What comes to mind the most when, you know, kind of the term like studying the Bible, I think about um, like a Bible study book that I had when I was still, you know, in middle school or Mm -hmm. elementary school, Mm -hmm. like pretty young, but I had this book that was like an analysis of the book of Daniel, Um, you know, because just because of my name. And (laughs) and so I remember like going through that book and it was, you know, Daniel's kind of obtuse in the sense that it has, you know, all these prophecies, Mm -hmm. but that I do remember that kind of sticking into my mind as uh, something that really helped me understand it in a way that I hadn't as much and i think if you're just like reading and even if you're reading in a group and having discussion on it which i think is great but a lot of times it can kind of be like what do you think that means Hmm, maybe this maybe this i don't know it's uh, you know could be a lot of things and it it sort of just Mm -hmm. hangs there or like Mm -hmm. you know doesn't get past the sort of like yeah that was really strange or that was really interesting or is you know i'm not totally sure what that means I think there's mm-hmm. definitely something to say to the value of that sort of wrestling with, like, I think a lot of the Bible is meant to and has always been, like, read in in that sort of community. And that's one of the ways that uh, a lot of, uh, like, heresy is weeded out. You know, when you have somebody say, oh, I think this means this, and it's just something that the Bible does not teach. If you're in a group of people that are familiar with the Bible and, and have some sort of spiritual maturity— then there's that space to say, I don't think that's in agreement with the rest of the Bible. So maybe like having those examples where it's like, well, I'm not sure exactly what it's saying, but I know it's not that. Right. <laughs> I feel like a lot of my familiar, famil, familiarity. familiarity. I feel like a lot of my basic understanding of, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of my basic understanding of the Bible just comes from mom reading it all the time to us when we were little mm-hmm. or watching those the matthew every morning oh yeah yeah watching the old vhs's of matthew and acts <laughs> verse by verse yeah those were great yeah so i just i think just familiarity with the biblical story as a whole is really important mm-hmm. um that really does play into how we interpret the bible as we read it uh so there's something to that but i don't know i've heard it, I don't remember who said it, but it's like reading the Bible. If you read the Bible and take notes, then you're studying. Hmm. And I was like, I don't know about that necessarily. 
<laughs> but but um, I do I definitely think that's you you will gain more than simply reading. With my students, I usually just encourage them like people can get overwhelmed with the concept of Bible study to start with. So just start reading it. And if you just familiar, familiarize yourself with the Bible, you'll get a lot out of it. And then usually mm-hmm. I'll ask them to just like ask, what does this text say about God? What does this text say about something that I can apply to my life, whatever they're reading for that day. And so at least that way they're like considering what they're reading, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a basic way to study. Um, for me, that was that kind of mode and then becoming aware of repeated phrases you know that kind of thing was was something i started doing a little bit where i could mm-hmm. oh like this is a this is a repeated theme like that's probably something that i should be aware of that's probably like the extent that a lot of people get unless they have some sort of training yeah that's true i remember our youth pastor always saying when you read ask yourself what does this say about god and how does this apply to my life yeah and I definitely remember doing that for many years. So that's a good point. That is more than just reading it. Yeah. And as far as just being, you know, familiar with the text, I always think back to the people who are actually in the Bible and the New Testament mm-hmm. disciples. They are constantly able to make references to the Old Testament scripture because they learned it so well. And you don't get an impression a lot of times that it was that they were like, what does this mean as much as they had just memorized it and like dwelt in it and mm-hmm. lived with it. And then yeah. the most powerful example to me is Jesus using the Levitical and Deuteronomical commands like the you know the laws of israel in order to rebuke satan's temptation Uh Mm -hmm. but i always think back on that like it was all they had was the old testament and like everything in isaiah and predicting the messiah everything about how people are to live and jesus himself he wasn't rebuking satan based on like well i'm the son of god and i know you're wrong he was using the using the Mm -hmm. old yeah the commands in the old testament and which that is, there is an understanding there that he knew how to apply it. And also with the disciples who take these phrases and are saying this is, you know, this is lived out through Jesus. I had a hermeneutics class in 10th grade at the, Christ- the Providence where I went to school. And so it's a little bit hard for me to just remember, like, what was my mentality before taking an inductive Bible study class? Because I got some tools at that time about studying the Bible also. Ah, good on them. Yeah. It's pretty good for 10th grade. My Bible class at Evangel didn't teach me anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a a good class, for sure. Maybe it taught somebody something. I do remember the shape of the crowns of the two different Egyptian when they split in the southern and northern kingdom. So, Uh, yes. (laughs) That's one very important. (laughs) I don't think that's in the Bible. We had a girl in our youth group who's like, saved because of her bible class at emmanuel so do either of you have a earliest memory of reading the bible (laughs) or even just a very early memory well earliest makes it kind of easy because uh i had do you know what precious moments is yeah (laughs) those little characters with the big like you know kind of puppy dog eyes and they have like sort of oversized (laughs) heads for their body 
take a look, Paul. Look, uh, type in. Uh, yeah, wait. Uh, it's like something you'll see at a Christian bookstore or something. I I wonder if it was a Christian oh, thing actually. Look, it came right up. Yeah, yeah. It's these yeah, little see? characters with the kind of like teardrop eyes. Yeah, so cute. Oh, okay, okay. I've seen these. But I had a Precious Moments Bible with this like <laughs> little boy shepherd on the front of it. I'm pretty sure that's the one I, I'm seeing here, and it looks like what I had. Hmm. So you know, it's a it's a little you know little kid's Bible. I don't know how young I was, but. Um, so did you read that though? Well, I couldn't read, but I would look at the pictures, oh. <laughs> and you know, I'm sure Mom read it to me. Um, okay. But mostly, okay. I remember the the Ten Plagues story in that, and you know, thinking it was so funny and these frogs everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why yeah, that's why really devastation. Like, yeah, I guess I wouldn't call that the earliest reading the Bible memory as much as like my earliest memory with the Bible at all. Yeah, it's hard for me to like differentiate different sections of my like childhood. So there was a lot of Bible reading going on like before bed and around the table and for class and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I definitely remember when it, I started to read the Bible like on my own. Mm. I was probably like, late elementary school and. Since we were homeschooled, mom basically allowed that to be something that was part of our schooling if we yes. would, you know, read the Bible on our own. Yes. So it was motivation because then it could like delay our other classes. Yep. And <laughs> I could like spend time by myself reading the Bible. I was not a good reader when I was young. You know, I really struggled learning to read. And so I remember starting out, I could I would only read like a section from like a little header to header, whatever the headers were in my Bible at the time. Yes. This is so similar and, to the one I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was like my daily reading was like one of those. And I would write in a notebook what my favorite verse was from that section. Mm, that's nice. Good. Nice. You could actually write down a favorite verse. How old were you? Uh, I don't remember exactly, but um, probably somewhere around third grade or um, somewhere right in there. I have this specific memory and it must have been when I was a little older where I really didn't want to do schoolwork. And I was just like, well, I'll just, I, mom, I can read the Bible. And she said, no, you need to do schoolwork. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what? The yeah, first time it didn't, didn't work. It didn't work. And yeah, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Wow. She saw through your ruse. <laughs> yeah. She saw right through it. I must have been too old or something. <laughs> but uh, that's funny you mentioned like reading from header to header. Yeah. Because now that now that you say that, I that's how I did it too. Yeah, I would go from the title to the next title. And I have another memory of going to mom one time and being like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This section is huge. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like two whole columns in the Bible between these yeah. headers. And she's like, what you can do is just read about half of it and make a little mark for yourself and pick up the next half later. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what a great idea. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I remember one time when we were visiting grandma and grandpa at the Ocala house where yeah. I can't remember why I was like complaining or I was real upset about something and mom was like go to your room that you're staying in and read the book of jude or something like that 
And I was like, the whole book? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's one of those books where there's only one chapter. It's funny when you can tap into these early memories and realize how silly your mental processing was as a child. Yeah. <laughs> there's very few that I can actually remember, but when I do, it's really funny. It's, it's also, as you do that, you remember more also, which is interesting. Like mm. the early memories you do have and you start talking about them, a lot of times like others yeah. come... Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it kind of unlocks memories, unlock memories. So uh, getting back to inductive Bible study and more what this class is about. Right, so, so far we have basically what, what it means, which is that you mm-hmm. are not aiming for anything other than what does this say, period. It also goes into, there, it, there was included in that definition, like a, an application. Okay, yeah. For modern, for our our own personal life and modern society in general. Mm-hmm. If I was explaining inductive Bible study to like one of my youth, mm-hmm. I would say it just gives you a very structured way to study the Bible that's not subjective. Okay, so there's a very yeah. like objective, structured way to study the Bible. That's what I like about it. So one of the things he talks about in the book is the spirit of the inductive study. So like the attitude Uh you should have when going into it. And one of the main things is to try not to take presuppositions into the text. Right. And try to go into it looking at it afresh. So looking at the section as if you've never heard it before. Yeah, you don't want to go in saying like, oh, I heard a sermon on this section, so I already know what it's about. Mm -hmm. Because then you could be wrong and you're not letting the text speak for itself. Even would that be like even something along the lines of like Zacchaeus story. Let's say it's just the Zacchaeus story. There's mm-hmm. we kind of always assume like, Oh, you know, nobody liked him. Um, which there's good reasons for that. But would that even include like tossing out, you know, sort of contextual things that, you know, like that and just seeing like, unless it says that, you know, he was despised by his compatriots, then don't even think about that part. It's to start with, yeah, mm. you kind of like will bring some of that stuff in later on when you're doing, because there is sections for like bringing in the larger corpus of scripture into your interpretation. Mm-hmm. That's a step so away. So that kind of stuff, yeah, that's like a step away mm-hmm. from your initial just observation. Okay. And bringing in historical context as well. That would kind of fit under that, the mm-hmm. history that tax collectors were hated by the Jews. Right, and so you would... You, you would want to include the fact that it says he's a tax collector. Right. Right. That'd be part of your initial observation. So like, why does it say that he's a tax collector? So this may be a little mm-hmm. bit of a tangent, but that does that mean don't, uh, don't assume that Jesus was an ugly man because of how it says he had nothing. Oh my God. <laughs> don't you hate that? <laughs> yes. We know that he was ugly. We know that he was ugly. Oh. Yeah. It's like, that's, <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. that's what that, that means. So that question kind of goes into this aspect of the study that he says it's not linear, but it's spiracular. So it's like a spiracular. Spiracular. Each step can affect the step before as well as the following step. Mm. And so Mm -hmm. as you learn something, it might change the way you originally saw something. Yeah, it's, it's great that you none of your findings or conclusions are like have to be final. Mm-hmm. As you continue going on in the process, if you realize that you were wrong, there's that space to like readjust. 
So you really do start with that kind of, you know, forget everything you know about <laughs> whatever. Empty forget your Forget everything mind. you thought you knew about the <laughs> that's Bible. Right, that's right, yeah. That's right. Okay. One thing that is really important and people tend to do, and it's a big part of the inductive method, is asking questions. And But a lot of people don't realize that's, that's a component of Bible study. Whenever you're like asking questions of the text, that means you're probing it for for answers. Mm. And so there's a there's a study element to just asking questions of the text. That's uh, you know, the Socratic method. It's all about asking questions and seeing what is mm. unearthed from that. So the last thing I was going to say about it is just in relation to commentaries, they really emphasize waiting to look at commentaries until you've had time to process and think think through the text itself Mm -hmm. so i know for me like in the past if i wanted to know what a verse meant i would just immediately go to a commentary Mm -hmm. but i think this is helpful to just say well first really look and see what kind of observations you can make for yourself and then check out what other people have said there's much richer when you discover something for yourself in your own Bible study. And it also gives you a passion for it to like share it with other people if you've discovered it. Yeah. And it helps you teach it better because you understand how those Mm -hmm. conclusions came about. And remember it too. Yeah. If you just start with a commentary, you can get the answer, but you don't have the process and you don't have the like passion that came out of that discovery. That's a good point. Yeah, that's good. I've definitely seen that this semester in myself. I think also in terms of believing that the Bible is living and active, wrestling with it yourself or even just asking questions, trying to find out things for yourself, even if you don't have training, you don't have the historical background, you're not like an expert, but part of learning how to hear God's voice or like interact with God directly Mm -hmm. is learning how to read the Bible in a way that is speaking something to you and that you're picking something out of. Yeah. And also for the, like Mm -hmm. I mentioned before the Bible being living and active, it's not just so-and-so is an expert and he said it means this. And that guy is probably right, or, you know, hopefully is right, but that doesn't mean that that's all it is. And there may be something else that God has specifically Mm -hmm. to show you in that passage that he didn't have to show, you know, Dr. Whoever. Yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't just read the Bible to get the facts and to like know the answers, but we read the Bible to know God and to be changed and transformed. And that's not going to happen if all you're doing is getting the answers. That transformation is going to happen as you look at scripture and dig into it for yourself and wrestle with it. It kind of makes the commentators like the, you know, the high priests who go into the holy of holies and they're the ones who hear from God, which is not how we are supposed to be living mm-hmm. in the new covenant. Or at least after the Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to class number two. The other class I'm in this semester is called Missional Formation. It's a little bit more of a subjective, conversational class, so it's a little harder to describe, but... I would say essentially it's a conversation about the state of modern day missions. That sounds intriguing. It has been intriguing. Have they pulled in? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
Okay. Have they pulled in um, the effect of the pandemic? Um, we're not going that modern. Okay, okay. Well, I just wondered because I feel like... Uh, I, well, I should say I suspect that there's going to be long-lasting effects of kind of the paradigm shift of how missions are carried out, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because that is modern missions but all of our books you know are yeah not that modern before we get into more talking about the modern context of missions the course really started with laying the biblical foundation so the first book we read is called the mission of god's people and it's by christopher wright and he really emphasizes how missions and evangelism started in the old testament so as you two think about missions and evangelism in the Old Testament, what comes to mind? I think of uh, passages where God is telling Israel that the reason that they have to uh, live as the people of God is so that the nations around will know that he's the Lord or so that the Egyptians will know that I'm God. Mm. Um, you get that as a theme throughout the Bible that it's not just for the Israelites, but they're the example so that the nations will know who God is. Hmm. Then I also think of, um, like in the prophets, there's a lot about different nations besides just Israel throughout mm. the prophets of the oh, Old yeah, Testament. Oh, yeah, Jonah. Yeah, Jonah Jonah's, goes to Nineveh. Jonah is basically a missionary. Yeah, Nahum goes to... Nahum is about Nineveh. And um, some of the others are have sections for sure, if, they're, if not the whole book to a different nation Mm. and a lot of it has to do with the same things that they said to israel like if you're righteous you're gonna be rewarded and if you are not then you're gonna be judged and so you see a lot of that same kind of uh reaction that god has toward his people he has towards the other nations as well Mm -hmm. a couple things from the book that really stood out to me was first he talked about the you know we think about the great commission as being matthew 28 Mm mm-hmm Um, But he talked about that really starting with the call of Abraham. I'm calling you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. Yeah. And so there's that idea that all of us as God's people, our mission is to be a blessing to the nations. I never really thought about that in the context of Abraham. Yeah, that really meshes well with the, Uh the kind of directive to be doing these different I don't know how to describe it. I, I, my instinct is to call it like nonprofit type activities, but you know, like charitable, uh, humanitarian, uh-huh. um, also like dominion over the earth and cultivating the earth, but also like taking care of people sort of fits with that. Blessing the world, even if they don't believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite thing from this book comes out of the story of Solomon when he's consecrating the temple. Mm-hmm. Joel, go ahead and read First Kings forty-eight, forty-one. Wait, it's not forty-eight. Eight. Oh, it's just eight. <laughs> just eight. There's not forty-eight chapters from First Kings. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, that's why it was having so much trouble finding it. <laughs> First Kings eight, forty-one through forty-three. Okay, it says as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel but has come from a distant land because of your name. For they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. 
Do whatever the foreigner asks you so that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. So I thought that was really cool in the light of missions and evangelism that even from the start of the temple, one of the objectives of Solomon was that foreigners would know the true God. Yeah. And not based on like trying to go out and reach them, but just based on having demonstrating like the superior way of life that comes about through following that God. And seeing the power of God. It says they'll hear of your great name and your mighty hand, which you definitely see throughout the whole Egyptian narrative and going into the Canaanite conquest that the people had heard what God had done mm-hmm. in Egypt. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say the majority of the class is more about modern missions, but I wanted to start with that foundation of just some of the scripture that undergirds that. I think it's really important too, because uh, people don't have a good understanding of the Old Testament. And so often people have that mentality that Old Testament is only for the Jews and God was just a mm-hmm. like national nationalistic God toward the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's really not the case throughout a lot of a lot of the Old Testament. You have these sorts of themes of God wanting to speak to other nations and bless other nations and reveal himself to other nations, but it's through Israel. And that's why there's the focus. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So uh, future in the future, we can get to more of the missions context that yeah, comes out of that. Good. Okay. That. Well, thanks for doing this. Any uh, yeah. closing thoughts? I know that was both those were very introductory, but it's a good start. I think we've got good amount of material and i think it was uh i mean it was interesting for me at least to talk to you about so hopefully that means it's going to be interesting for yeah. people to listen to uh i will say uh, as it relates to inductive bible study we just talked about the method but the class is primarily about actually doing bible yeah, it's not study. the theory it's not the theory of the method it's yeah teaching <laughs> yeah. you the method yeah yeah so next time we talk okay. i want to actually get into the book of matthew yeah and start by just looking at the whole structure of the book or the overall structure so that'll be fun sounds good sounds good looking forward to it